This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined in Fokotani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Hey, Sam. How are you? Very good. We're about to go off to the closing ceremony it sounds like it's going to be the olympics the closing ceremony for signal ict grad school it's been a fun ride but it's come to an end that's really that's good and bad all at the same time yeah i saw that i saw that buddy i I was going to talk to you about that maybe we can touch on that a little bit later we can indeed and who is that that you're introducing today mawera That is Phil Osborne. Phil is one of our colleagues at Otago Polytech. Um, He's a lecturer um, predominantly in the business school. Um, He also lectures in post-grad design, uh, hospitality. He's a facilitator uh, in Capable, um, where you and I are. Um, And I've done um, some work with Phil uh, assessing in the Hmm. Bachelor of Leadership for Change, and he is just so blimmin' good at celebrating our learner success, and I really admire and appreciate the way that you feel, the way you approach our learners and the way that you approach their learning journey, and I think it's really neat that we get to talk to you today, and thanks for sharing with us. Welcome. Thank you for the introduction and the, and the kind words. I think I think it's really important, and I think actually that celebration of learner is, has become embedded in my practice from Otago Polytechnic. So I think that's one of the things that I've added to my practice. I think over the the five five or six years that I've I've been there. So thank you for that. And yes, it has been fun working together. And Phil, how has your bubble life been? Yeah, it's funny you should say that. Just in the last sort of two or three weeks, the, um, I guess, what do you call it, the spring growth has started to emerge from the bubble, I think, with all the people that I'm talking to. They're sort of sort of looking the other way when they say that their bubble life has been quite good. And we're talking about coming to the end of 2020 and everybody's sort of being able, or not, is being able to say, that there has been some good that's come out of this this crisis, and and that message has has been throughout the year, but now seems to be coming stronger and stronger through the voices of people that I'm talking to, and I feel the same way. I think 2020 has been um, for me a, a take stock time and a real 
a real case of, you know, when, when we see challenges as opportunities and we talk about that with our learners, don't see them as problems, see them as opportunities. And I, and I feel like that, that has been um, taken to heart by many people or many people in the, in the, in the cohort that I hang out with anyway. So you're doing quite a lot of teaching this year. How did that go? You moved online? Um, yeah, yeah. So we moved, we moved online quite quickly. Um, and I think the, I think the students, hmm, they responded well to it, but also having, getting them back in class was amazing as well because they celebrated and recognised the things that they were taking for granted in class. So when we did come back, um, when we did come back into full-time class, there was a real energy of the collaborative learning going on and everybody helping each other and um, talking with each other about their experience. And that certainly held on to the, I think this is the last week of our teaching practice. And um, you're seeing that, you see, I this year I'm seeing the, um, groups of students being closer together, you know. Normally, normally at this stage of the year, they're burnt out and looking for, looking for the escapism of summer. But they're still, you know, ticking on each other, making sure everybody is being successful, doing what they can to help help people in their class. So that's really good. Did the final year projects turn out all right? Oh yes, yeah. so so just to give that a bit of context for the Bachelor of Applied Management at Otago Polytechnic, the Capstone's course is an internship, which goes for the, the sixteen weeks where our students go out and work with uh, small businesses, or, or no, not even small business, go out and work for organisations in our community, and. Yes, we, we were worried about how that was going to go and whether they would be as welcoming, but um, they really, the organisations grabbed the opportunity to get some help, I think, and were really welcoming to the students. And the students um, overall uh, were talking about a, uh, a great a great time. And I guess it was that we were starting to look at bigger challenges that they probably would have done in the past where they were just looking at not not to disregard it but more operational stuff and a lot of these projects were asking the what if questions or the so what questions or the why are we doing things you know which is quite a big step up for level three or year three level seven students is that because the not just the students but the businesses they were working with had to do uh We've been told not to use the word pivot, but we're going to use it anyway. They all had to pivot. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think, and, and I think the beauty of not using the word pivot is that if they didn't think they were pivoting, they were more like more likely to do it. Do you know what I mean? If without naming it, what they were actually doing, and we could go into this a bit later, I think what they were actually doing is thinking strategically. Um, and maybe they hadn't had to do that for a while because our environment had felt stable enough that the future wasn't ambiguous anymore. Um, so, so I think, yeah, you know, it's it's hard to talk about a global pandemic as a shakeup, but you know, for for organisations, it was certainly that. You know, 
it was certainly a time where they had to retest their assumptions or even realize that some things that they were relying on were actually assumptions and um, having to pay attention to the environment and the community they were co- connected to, which is strategic thinking, right? Which they should have been doing anyway. Which I think they should be doing anyway, but we know how it is. We know how it is. If we, we're living in a reasonably um, stable environment, we we tend to repeat the things that have been successful for us as we're going, and we and we forget to take that pulse. I mean, even if we took it, take it to that health metaphor, you know, there's not a very large percentage of us who go to the doctor to get the regular checkups. We go there once a crisis happens, or a, or maybe not even a crisis, but you know, something's changed in our environment, and we need some help to work it out. So we go and get someone else's opinion. Um, and I think maybe uh, organisations, and I'm not just talking about um, for-profit organisations or, or, you know, those sort of traditional things we think of companies. I think all organisations had something go bang in their environment and they had to rethink about what they were doing. We had quite a few students, as, as has been in the past, Looking at um, community organisations, uh, what would traditionally be called not-for-profit organisations, I guess, who were revisiting their fundamentals, you know, and uh, especially, uh, and, and I'm not going to name names, but one that had been around for nearly a hundred years and was still operating successful, but successfully, but could see, could suddenly see the winds of change that have probably been blowing around them for ten or fifteen years but they didn't really need to change their path. So they didn't. Um, and now they're having to think about, you know, are we utilising our volunteers enough? Are our donors still interested in um, contributing to the same um, solution? Uh, do we have more uh, competitors in this area for for our for our stakeholders' interest, because that was the other thing, eh? Stakeholders have got busy this year as well, you know? Their attention has been taken around not just the things that uh, peripherally um, impact on them, but, like, really sorting out their relationships and the importance of those relationships and their networks. All of that stuff has been up for re-examination this year, I think. And as someone has told us, people have not just been working, they've been surviving a pandemic. Yeah, yep. I don't know, I'll throw it back out to you guys. At at what point did it shift from survival for you? Because I I think that shift happened for me quite early. I think I did get that thing on, you know, that, oh, my God, what's going on, went into survival mode. But I think I came out of that quite quickly, personally. And it hasn't felt like a, it hasn't felt like a survival scramble for a long time for me. I think we um we just moved into our new house, and I was not comfortable until my freezer was full and I had seedlings <laughs> growing. Once yep. I knew that food was not going to be an issue, then yep. then then it was about just relaxing and enjoying just being at home with my kids and education and. 
and you know, the government looked after us and, and we were okay. It didn't matter that I wasn't working because we didn't we were gonna be fine. So yeah, yeah. for me it was the food food was the thing. Once the food was all set, we were fine. Yep. I think that's really interesting about the, the safety feeling coming quite quickly and, and it, I think it's great that you mentioned the government because I think we should give a nod to that, you know, that whatever it was that they did and we could talk about lots of different things, what they what they achieved was a sense of safety for a large part of the population. Yes, there's, you know, there's, there's parts of the population and parts of the community that haven't felt that or, you know, are still wondering about that safety net. But I think for myself, a lot of people that I've talked to, including small business, were really grateful for the the sense of safety that was communicated. Um, yeah. What about you, back. Sam? When did... Um, I think that it was pretty – I think I felt pretty safe during the first lockdown. I think it was the yep. second lockdown that knocked us sideways a bit. And we mm-hmm. kind of knew that it was going to come back, and there was the sense of, yep, we've done this before, we can do it again, but there was a sense yep. of unease at that point. I think it's really interesting if you're like listening to your guests from around other places as well, is that um, New Zealand itself feels pretty safe, but particularly the South Island feels very safe. You know what I mean? Like I sometimes when you when when you it's easy to forget how crazy the world is outside our bubbles, you know, and that as you just alluded to things can come inside our bubble pretty quickly if we don't if we're not we don't continue to pay attention right and we don't learn our lessons i'm going to come back and talk about the marketing message but first i'm going to play perhaps the ode to marketing <laughs> cartoon heroes from aqua Sing free by frame to 
know I know it's the norm is for the guests to pick the music, but um, we just let everybody know that Sam picked this this set of three because he suggested them, and I thought maybe it'd be interesting to talk to him about why he chose these particular ones because I'm guessing that he picked them with me in mind a little bit as well. Um, and as I said, Sam, I haven't listened to Aqua for a while. <laughs> what made you think of it? What made me think of it was twofold. One was that we talked about it when we talked to my brother uh, Tom a while ago. Um, he told us a good story about Aqua, which I'm not repeating. And <laughs> it's – I wanted things that were perhaps a celebration of marketing – but without it just being about money. Yes. Yep. It's funny because when you when you think, obviously once you once you uh, let me know what the songs were and I had a look at them and the the immediate thing that appeared to me in my marketing brain when I was looking at the video and thinking about the creation of our own solutions it actually made me think about self sustainability right so we can create our own heroes or we can be our own heroes. And uh, I think that's a message that's come through during this, um, well, let's just call it 2020. Through 2020, there's been lots of things about how do we solve things and how do we do this, and we haven't been able to rely on traditional sources of um, saviour, you know? And 2020 has been about revisiting that, you know? And to some extent, we could be heroes by sitting on the sofa because that's what was asked of us. Yes. Yep. Yep. And working out what it is, what was the, what is the problem that you, and you know, we circle around this all the time. Like, what is the actual thing that you're trying to solve by whatever action it is that you are trying? You know, what are you trying to? What What's the discomfort? What's the motivation to do anything in your life? And maybe up until and we've we've talked about this on other programs as well, Sam, a bit in the sustainable lens stuff on that um at Access Radio before, about what is it that people are trying to achieve and for a long time it's been about some form of growth. And in twenty twenty it hasn't been. You know, we've actually suddenly been reminded that that doesn't have to be our North Star. I wanted to talk about the marketing. I want to talk about mm. how the government's marketing or government's messaging, yep. but you yep. can look at it through a marketing hat. It, it seems to have been particularly successful. And we've talked to lots of people around the world and yep. the people that don't know what we've done and how we've had that, that messaging seem to don't seem so convinced by whatever it is that they're being told. Yeah. And and that that is a thing, isn't it? So you look around and, and you hear about what other people are talking about the government's um, messaging or the government's approach to things. I mean, let's not let's 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 be honest. Not everybody in the country has been convinced by this messaging, and we hear it. We 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 still get the we still hear the challenge every day on our on our media. But there's something about the the type of messaging. And the consistency of messaging that has come from them over time that has um, made us feel safe. And I think some of it is about 
the level of empathy that has been in the message, you know, the level, the 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 togetherness of it all. That every, I mean, you mentioned it before, Sam. You know, we've been here before. We, we it's all about the we in, in the message, and it's been consistent right from the start. It's been pretty clear, you know. Although I still can never remember whether one's good or four's good in the level, so I get confused and my children are always telling me off. Of course it's four, Dad. I'm like, well, why is it of course four? Surely we start low and go high. I don't know. But the message was quickly put together and they stayed on, on message throughout the whole thing. And even when it was challenged, they didn't just dismiss the challenge. They discussed the credibility of the challenge and admitted that they were learning as long as we talk about even just recently, you know, coming up to this mask stuff, because that could be considered like a complete U-turn where we were six months ago, right? But it feels okay because they said, oh, when we made the decision six months ago, we didn't know how effective masks were going to be. Six months on, we've got some different information and now we can incorporate that into our keep safe message. You so, talked about so this, Yeah, you talked about how they they came up with that message really quickly and it was remarkably yep. quickly. Yep. Is did they manage to do that because they it was authentic or because because it was perhaps so close to value sets that it was an easy way for them to approach it? Um, I, I think I think I think both of those things are uh, elements of why it was successful. I think, and it would be my gut feeling, um, because of the speed of it, was that the government had done some scenario planning. Like they didn't know what the, what it was going to be, but they recognised that it was going to be a pandemic, and that what we needed to do in a pandemic was get a clear, coherent message developed and um, get it out there and be consistent. I mean, we talk about um, we talk about uh, Jacinda being on television consistently during it. We talk about um, our dear, I'm going to forget his first name. Who's our health, who's the health guy? Ashley. Yeah, we talk about Ashley, you know, being consistent through it. And I think about in Victoria, the Premier of Victoria, I think he was even more, you know, like they went through a harsher lockdown, but he was on television every day for, we're talking about 139 days in a row or something. Like he didn't even take a break. Um, and, And I think that security, you know, like we're still doing it, we're still here, we're still in front of you. That meant, I think that made it, helped it be authentic. I like the idea of the aligning with value sets, but I don't think that they pitched it around that. I think it just happened, or well, not, not just happened, that would be too serendipitous. I think they were aware of thinking about what our values were and made sure the messages aligned with those values, but I don't think they wrote those messages to be around those values. I think there was some coincidence around that, and I think that did help embed it. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. 
Kia ora koutou, now with Arohanoe Kia koutou, hope you all have a stay superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope that wherever you are and whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together, proving very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and each day. Who you are, the triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here, better. Thank you. So as we all know, we've been through a very interesting year together and moving through all of these levels of lockdown, we now find ourselves back in the freedom of level one. We now find ourselves the only place in the whole world who can enjoy this level of freedom and ease and how lucky we are, incredibly lucky we are. And I saw a wee meme saying, 2020 is not the year where you get what you want. It's the year where you appreciate what you have. It's quite an way of reframing what has taken place but also thinking about how we understand what it is that we want particularly in relationship to other people and other life and of course at all time I know that we really want to feel our freedom and our free will and our judge respected and at least all life feel this so it's been a very interesting process for me to of course be looking after amazing mighty mama Maya and resettling her on some fertile eat, responding to her desire to be a mother and bring new life to the world, which I feel myself, I would love to have multiple offspring. And I want to facilitate, of course, the wants and desires of those around me as much as I possibly can in a way that is also supportive to me. And of course, the whole exciting, excellent adventure of supporting Maya to become a mighty mama is very, very fulfilling for me as well. But then of course when we think about our other relationships in life and sometimes we may want things for other people that that they don't want or we may want things for other people that they are not ready to accept into their lives or make changes for into their lives. And again we have to accept this that we are all growing and moving and changing at different paces and different rates for quite different reasons and we can only ever do our best and acknowledge that everybody else is doing the same. So as I head off today to my heart's home workplace, Orokunui Eco Sanctuary, I'm really looking forward to meeting and connecting with lots of year one students, very beautiful young students from Elm Grove School and we're thinking all about mini beasts and these principles are just universal. We'll be thinking about our desire to meet and connect and hold multiple species of life but how we need to do this in a very respectful and caring way and only if the multiple species of life are happy to be held and in the same way I'll be encouraging the beautiful young people from Elm Grove to feel comfortable to express and share who they are what they want what they're interested in what they need throughout the day And I really hope that in this way, that sense of relationship, that sense of equality, that sense of reciprocity can be communicated to them and help make their lives better and their perception and understanding of themselves and the relationships around them better. So I really hope that for you, whatever you are doing to facilitate the wants and desires of others, it is working in a positive and supportive way for you also. That is an equal exchange. And for those of you who are seeing solutions for others that maybe they're not ready to see 
or wanting and desiring an outcome for others that perhaps is not where they're at at the moment. Thank you for your love and care. Thank you for your support for these people around you. How lucky they are to have us all. But how lucky we are to be free and grow and see and be in time. And I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Phil Osborne. Phil, we've seen lots of changes over the last a few months. What do you think is going to stick? What do you hope will stick? Um, I think what's going to stick is that organisations are going to think about their customers much more. I think they've realised realized everybody realized without customers there was no revenue but i don't think that they realized what they needed to know about their customers to keep that revenue coming in and from a marketer that you know that's right in my wheelhouse we've been talking about understanding your customer as the most important part of business for a while so i'm thinking i'm thinking that Lots of stuff that people have been preaching has now had a real-world example of what happens, especially especially if you think in New Zealand when whole whole segments of the market have have been have disappeared. Whether and I and I don't just mean like we, the obvious ones are the tourists, but you know we can talk about tourists, we can talk about international students coming from the outside, but also the people who. Um, we're going back to our local stores. We're going back to our local producers, you know? And when we're doing that, we're taking our money from wherever we were originally spending it from. So we, so, you know, that shift from our behavior has taken money somewhere new, but it's also taken money from somewhere old. You know, I know for myself, for example, if we go down the, the route of the supermarket, it was great that they were open during the, the harsh lockdown, but it also made me realise that there were other alternatives to look for. And once those other alternatives opened up, I went and found them again. Yes, I'm still using my supermarket, but I'm certainly using my local butcher, my local um, greengrocer. I'm probably one of the ones that it reminded me that we have this m- Great Saturday market, Saturday morning market in in Dunedin, and I've certainly been back there more often than I I had been in the past. And it was a reminder of that that there are actually some companies out there that care and who want to make a difference. And I guess I was motivated to do that as a uh, to participate in that as a customer. And I think that 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 might be the reciprocity that's happening organizations have realized it and customers have realized that they can actually make choices about their consumption and maybe more conscious choices which hopefully are also more sustainable choices as well in terms of that sustainable choices and a moving to a thriving world yeah what do you think we can take from the pandemic response for big questions like climate change and social inequity? Hmm. That's a, it's, always, it's always interesting to think about what can we take 
forward out of it. I, I my my initial response is that and a heightened and broader awareness of both of those issues has been at the forefront of lots of minds, you know? So so I guess it's, it's like I said before, it's knocked us out of our business as normal in all areas of our life, which includes that sustainability, uh, the um, well, one, the social equity, you know, because now we've got a real lens that is showing the different responses to this pandemic around the world. I mean, I know with my children, we've been we've been looking at that, you know, and talking about that, and we've we've been talking about it before, but it wasn't in such a the whole world wasn't facing the same crisis, so it was hard. It's hard to compare that social that social justice when then when we're not responding to the same thing. So I think that that's that awareness um, level has jumped. And I guess that's going to have some impact on the solutions that we might come up with towards it. I think it could have very easily gone the other way and that we could, everybody could could have reverted to isolationism. And, you know, that's their problem. We're, we're happy, so we don't need to worry about it. But I certainly don't get that feeling around the conversations that I'm having across the spectrum. It's different from climate change a, in that it starts, yeah. it doesn't, climate change doesn't start on Tuesday. And they were very clearly no. able to say this has to happen on Tuesday and, you know, there's a threat that's right now. Climate change doesn't have yep. that. But also climate change, unlike the ozone hole, didn't have a single technological fix. Yep. And this does. Yep. And, and it does seem to be emerging. That there are very promising vaccines on the way. So it's yep. got that that sense that we, we can wait it out. It's taking longer than we hoped it would when it was in March this year. Mm. But I, I just going back to that climate change and the awareness, I think all the conversations that I had with people after the world stopped for four weeks was that they could see an actual thing, you know? Like we were talking about, oh, if there were less cars, there would be less stuff. There was, if there were people weren't travelling so much, it would be better, and it was all hypothetical. And then for a month, that actually happened, and people went, "Oh my god, you know, there's birds back in my garden. the 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 sky seems bluer, you know, even in, in even in the local things. And there were those things that were being seen over overseas of the the cities that were always shrouded in pollution suddenly became clear and even if that was even if there was some internet liberty taken with some of those photos it was enough to us go oh look if we do actually we we do actually have control and or have some impact that we can that we can take i don't know about you i've been thinking and talking to lots of people about just that whole change in work practices you know um the I'm I'm much less likely to commute on a daily basis to work anymore because I don't have to. You know where before it felt like a it felt like a pro, like I had to like I had to be in that mass of people turning up and doing things at a certain time. And now that now that now that I don't, you can see that 
oh, that makes it much easier for me to catch a bus or ride to work because I haven't got the urgency of being there or arriving at the same time as everybody else does, which then spreads out. You know, like we've talked about this, Sam, before about how do we how do we motivate people to to think about climate change and what they can do about it, not just from a single single point of view of taking shorter showers, but how can the collective effort be seen by the individual? And I think that the, the actual stopping the world for six weeks allowed us to see that and then motivated people to continue that, I think. Now, I mean, about, we had some text. Talking about doing things at that, a certain time, I need to squeeze another song in. And I'm going to squeeze in one which would be a fantastic quiz night piece of knowledge for you, Moera. Which McCartney song in 1968 was the UK Christmas number one? No, you're not going to get it. Do you know why why you're not going to get it? Because you're thinking of the wrong McCartney. His brother, Michael, known as Mike McGear, was the lead singer in The Scaffold. And the Christmas number one in 1968 was Lily the Pink. Really? I know that song. Well, you're about to listen to it. Here it goes. He'll drink a drink a drink to Lily the Pink, the Pink, the Pink, the saviour of the human race. So they gave him medicinal compound And now he's learning how to fly Brother Tony was known to be bony He would never eat his meals And so they gave him medicinal compound And now they move him round on wheels He'll drink a drink a drink To lay the pink Saviour of the human race For she invented medicinal compound Most efficacious in every case Old Ebenezer thought he was Julius Caesar And so they put him in a home Where they gave him medicinal compound And now he's a Freckles, and the boys all called her names. 
But she changed with medicinal compound Now he joins in all the game to economic constant growth is not medicinal compound. It is not going to save the human race. So yet we've come out of COVID spending, growing, like we've, we've immediately gone back to that growth model. We must keep growing. How does that yeah, make and I, sense? Yeah, and I, I, well, well, I think, it, I think it's, um, I guess the, the bit that's challenging is are we are we still spending for growth? I don't. I, I think that's the bit that's changed. I think we're we're spending to sustain, and the the local bit actually is bringing us round to regenerating our local communities. I think that I think that's the tipping point. You know that we that we that we can't we can't survive on our own. We're not going to go back. Well, some people will go back to producing for themselves, like the garden stuff and that. But you'll also realise that there is somebody who's better at it than I am, and we're and we're remembering that that original. It's almost like going back to oh, who does it best in the community? I'm going to use them. But the community net has um, shrunk. We're not saying who does it the best in the world, but who does it the best in my world? You know. And that's allowing us to continue the, the trading stuff, which, which lifts us all up. But it's not about how do I get 100,000 customers. It's how I keep the 50 locals. And how, how do I sustain my business on 50 customers instead of 50,000 customers? I think I haven't heard anyone complain about the price rises that have come out of COVID. You know, everybody has understood it and felt that, oh, yeah, they're not ripping me off. I can understand why. You know, we're no longer going for the cheapest, fastest option. I was listening to the radio this morning and the ports of Auckland trying to defend themselves about the issues that they've got, you know, coming up to Christmas season and all these products can't be, aren't going to be landed in time for Christmas and retailers talking about how their Christmas is going to be ruined because they're not going to be able to sell us this new shiny thing. 
And I think people are going, oh, I don't think my Christmas is going to be ruined by that. My, my only way my Christmas is going to be ruined is if I'm not going to be able to see my family and spend some time with the people that I love. Um, so we're already dismantling that internally, you know? Um, so do, oh, you yeah. think, do you think we're repositioning thriving as satisfied? Yeah. Do you think we're actually yeah, going to make that change? Well, I think we're not going to have a choice for a while. <laughs> you know, that, that I, I hate to say it, but that's the beauty of COVID, right? This is, this is a long-term experiment. This isn't, just, this isn't just close the shops for a day or a week or a month. We can't, even though we're talking about the vaccine and um, possibilities that that might, in the medium term that we're used to thinking in, the one to two years, the future is ambiguous. And I don't think that choosing choosing to get back to business as normal is actually not a choice. And I think we've probably got three or six months of realizing that still, because there's some people are just hanging on, oh, just wait till the borders open, just wait till the borders open, everything will snap back. No, no, it won't. Because we spent 50 years trying to get people to come to New Zealand, you know, in the numbers that they did, because it's a long journey. It's, a lo- it's always been a long journey. And I'm, I'm not sure we're going to convince too many people to get on, um, what should we call them, aluminium containers 600 at a time to fly for 14 hours to get here again very quickly, you know? So that's going to change. That's going to change. And with those changes come changes in our practice, whether it's as an organisation, as an individual consumer, or as a, or as a community group, you know? We've been talking about how we've seen adverts in Sweden and in the north of England saying big, big billboards saying things like Cumbria, it's it's way closer than New Zealand. Yeah, that that sort of messaging of that that local and New Zealand has just been blind to that. It's it's not going to happen. There's people being aware of carbon is is not a real thing. Mm-hmm. But, but all of that seems kind of like almost silly now because we've it's happened in a much bigger way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was listening to the Minister of Tourism today talking about how we need to celebrate our uniqueness. And that made me think about what is it that is unique about New Zealand? It's not the scenery, you know? Like, I think I think I could go and get a picture from many places around the world and put it on the NZT website and tell people it was New Zealand. And it's not. It's the Swedish, it's, it's the Nordic fjords, or it's uh, someone else's rainforest, or it's the... Yosemite thermal pools, you know, it's not, it's the people, (laughs) it's the people, you know, it's the people. Where we live has helped us become who we are, but it hasn't defined us. And people who come to New Zealand are going to come for the people who happen to be in some scenery. And I think if we can work out that that's that message, and then they don't have to come here, we can go to them in lots of different technological ways. So. This physical tourism might be, we might be seeing the, the dinosaur version of that, you know. We can still be New Zealanders around the world. So I have some questions to end the show with and almost negative time to do them. So we're going to have to be real fast. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, I'm going to be really selfish. I'm going to say it's uh, an increase in my self-awareness that's allowed me to become uh, a better facilitator. So I'm much, I'm much more aware of the role that I play because I'm more aware of how I play it for myself. What's your superpower? Curation. 
I'm good at finding the nuggets. I'm good at I'm I'm good at finding stuff that's interesting to people. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Um, yep. Every day, every every minute, I'm in front of a classroom. I'm an activist. I'm freeing their minds. So, what motivates you? A better world motivates me. And what every challenge? day, every day, yeah, every day. Well, it links to the challenge because every day is an opportunity to be better than yesterday, and that's the challenge for everyone, and particularly myself, that every day is better than yesterday. So, lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? I think, I think, accept that challenge. Accept that challenge that if you're trying to make every day better than yesterday, you're making progress, and that sometimes that's not easy to do. So you might not achieve it. But if you get up every morning and think, oh, well, whatever yesterday was, today can be better, that's a pretty good advice, I reckon. Thank you for that. Mawera? Bill, um, it is so cool to talk to you. Your, your worldview is so positive and enlightening, and I love the way that you celebrate people and make complex ideas pretty simple and and inaccessible and I think that's what makes you a really special teacher is that you make complex things accessible thank you thanks for sharing with us well, thank you thank you so we're going out to Martin Kohlberg snake oil salesman because he's a, still a marketer at heart I'm still a marketer at heart Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani, and in central Dunedin, Phil Osborne. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.